0: For students in college, mental health issues can be oppressive, dramatic, there can be depression, anxiety, all sorts of issues, and yet there are costs associated with treatment, issues surrounding getting the proper treatment. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest is Dr. John Huber. He's the chairman for Mainstream Mental Health. It's a nonprofit organization that brings lasting and positive changes to the lives of individuals that suffer from mental health issues. Dr. Huber, first of all, welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you for having me on today.
0: This is a really interesting topic because we're talking about a lot of issues that are associated with college students. Tell me first what some of the psychological battles college students face.
1: Well, in the past couple of years, we've seen some interesting things that have happened. You know, every every year, entering freshmen in general have between twenty to twenty four, twenty five percent report having. Anxiety and depression symptoms their freshman year. This past year, that's doubled. It's over 50%. And it's kind of hit some of the college campuses pretty hard because, you know, double the caseload. Why
0: do you think that's the case? Is, is it parenting? I well, mean, I...
1: what we've seen is a lot of the helicoptering from our parents. A lot of these kids now don't have skills learning to cope. If you go all the way back to normal child development when you have two, three, four-year-old kids arguing over a toy, the parents keep jumping in and solving the problem for them. Those coping skills that they learn to negotiate, to learn how to trade and work things out, those are actually essential for becoming an adult and learning to work through problems that you have as as a young adult. It appears with the gets a trophy, non competitive, competitive sports, and things like that. A lot of our kids are not learning the skills they need to learn to deal with adversity.
0: You know, it's funny you bring that up. I remember my son was playing basketball in the eighth grade, he was a point guard or whatever, and <laughs> coach was always yelling at him and he yet yeah, he never took him out of the game. And the coach said to me once, he goes, You know, your son I yell at him all the time, but he knows if I don't take him out of the game, I'm just he's just the one kid on the team that I can yell at whose parents aren't gonna bark at me. I mean he wasn't abusive, but wow. he was just saying but I always told my son, Hey, listen, if coach yells at you, then do what he says and play better and don't but that was kind of the parenting style that we felt was important. And I think you may be right, because I remember other parents literally couldn't say you couldn't say anything to their kids because they were perfect and they had to be perfect and I remember another story. Uh, my daughter came home once and she, you know, she got a poor grade and she got in trouble. And I said, Oh, well, she's oh, the teacher doesn't like me. And I remember saying, Why would the teacher not like you? Of all the kids, you're the one the teacher doesn't like. And I was like, really sarcastic. And I said, I find that hard to believe. You must have done something to earn it. But I think there's a lot of truth that I mean, not saying we weren't protective or sometimes were fault to a fault, we're protective. But I did notice that with parenting. And, and it's pretty clear. And I always wondered what the long term effect might be because. You're right. Everybody got trophies. I mean, you were never the worst team. We grew up, you're the last pick, you're the last pick. I mean, you you didn't get in on the court, you didn't win, you didn't get on the court again, all those types of things.
1: Right, and you know, it's interesting because yesterday I was doing hospital rounds and I had some interns with me. And we were talking about this same thing because she, she was like, you know, totally floored. She has some new friends and they started having problems at school on campus. And she's like, well, you need to go talk to the teacher as a professor, and she's like she goes, my new roommate looked at me and goes, "Oh no, I'm calling my mom and letting her deal with it."
0: <laughs> it's unbelievable. And
1: she's like, "Oh my God, what is this you know is she going to be there the rest of her life
0: so when now now you're in this position okay we've we've pretty much chastised an entire generation of parenting, and uh, now you have a situation where you have these kids. They're in that situation. How do you make up for lost time? Because obviously I hear the same stories about students going to medical school, like a higher rate of suicide than 20 years oh, ago yeah. and, and all these things. How do you make up for it? How do you prepare them, help them deal with it?
1: Well, you know, unfortunately, we, we kind of the parents dropped the ball, public schools drop the ball, and now colleges dropping the ball trying to create these safe spaces for the students, which, again, they're still not learning to deal with adversity and what I get are calls from businesses who are like, you know, we've hired all these kids out of college, and they're, they're, they're less than three months, and they're, they're quitting. And we go ask them why they're quitting, and they're like, well, I, I really wanted to do something to have an impact on the world. And so it's falling on business because you either keep rehiring or retraining people, which is an expensive proposition for small business owners, or they start changing and teaching these kids new skills things that kind of an oxymoron kind of thing, because why aren't they doing it on their own? Why aren't they going and picking, you know, Habitat for Humanity or one of these other areas that they can go donate in, you know, mills on wheels, whatever, instead of so they're waiting for somebody to tell them. So these businesses are having to be more directive, even down to how to answer a phone, because they're used to seeing caller ID and dealing with their friends, texting and like that, and they just go, yes, or hello. Instead of going, hi, this is Dr. Huber, can I help you?
0: One of the things that you talk about, and, and I'm interested in your answer to this one, is, okay, so the parents are helicopter parents, there's all these people creating safe zones, and yet the kids still feel like they're under more stress than ever. Is Are they really under more stress, or is it the ability to deal with perceived stress?
1: I think every generation has new stressors that previous generations didn't have to deal with. At the same time, I think you're right. A lot of them don't have the coping skills. But, you know, as we talk about this, though, I mean, I have some millennials working for me and with me, and they're amazing. You know, it's like, okay, I've got this report I need you to do. And I come in Friday, and they've got three different versions of it because they didn't know how I wanted it for sure. You know, So you and see, so you can see the good other, yeah. ones out there. Don't think they're all that way. It's just a bigger proportion of them than we've had in the past that have had these kind
0: of issues. You're listening to Primary Care today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest today is Dr. John Huber. Dr. Uber is a professor and teaches undergraduate and graduate psychology at Texas State University. We're talking about really an issue here about millennials dealing with the stresses and changes that have come, and and the pressures that maybe are partly due to the fact you have helicopter parents. But also we have another issue I led with that colleges can't meet soaring student needs for mental health care. Are we seeing more and more college students reaching out for mental health care?
1: Well, I I think they are, but also, you know, there's some trends that I was watching earlier this year that show that a lot of our students are figuring out there's like this magical thing that happens. You start going to the student counseling center, and the students who go there actually start having a higher – Uh, dropout rate, or they don't continue at the same university. So a lot of kids now don't feel comfortable going to their student counseling centers, and they're looking for places off campus as well so that they can't necessarily be tracked by the university
0: some statistics here according to the center for collegiate mental health at penn state university which gathers data from 139 institutions the number of students seeking help jumped 50 percent between 2015 and 2016 of those students who sought help 26 percent said they had intentionally hurt themselves 33.2 percent had considered suicide numbers higher than the previous year. And according to the 2016 UCLA Higher Education Research Institute survey of freshmen, nearly 12% say they are frequently depressed. Are they more in tune to themselves? Is that one of the issues? Maybe they've been taught, uh, you know, be aware of your emotions and prior generations just didn't think about it?
1: I have a question about that because if we're teaching people, oh, this happens when you have this experience, Well, maybe it doesn't happen for everybody, but now they've been told this is what to expect, so they start manifesting these issues as well. So it's a double standard. We don't have the research on it yet to look at that to see if it's the apple or the orange which came first in this situation. Is it because they were prompted or is it because they really are depressed or really are anxious? Parenting teaching our kids what to expect, teaching how we expect them to function, behave, and interact with other people is very important with our kids.
0: Now, we have a physician and primary care provider audience listening a large part of our audience is in that group. What do you suggest they do when they're talking with maybe parents of young children, uh, parents of adolescents, adolescents, uh, young adults, you know, in, in family practice, primary care, you, you see all, all comers, what sort of advice or, or thoughts would you have for them, not as a psychologist or psychiatrist, but clearly having to deal with some of those issues?
1: Well, one of the things I tell my parents of my clients is you're a parent. You're not their best friend. Their best friend should be their same age peers. You're there to teach them and give them skills that they need to succeed as an adult. And once they're an adult, then you guys can work out if you're going to be friends or not. And that sounds kind of cold, but that's what job of a parent is to prepare their child for life as an adult.
0: What tips do you have, especially for the young people, do you have tips for them to try and adapt? Is it too late if they've been raised that way?
1: No, not at all. I think a lot of these kids, when they're put in the right position with the right stimuli, they adapt. I mean, we we made it through Elvis, we made it through cable TV. We're gonna adapt, this generation's gonna adapt. It's just, we're seeing the growing pains and media out there that's one of the things i tell my parents to work with their kids on that's not real life you know you don't have 1200 best friends you know (laughs) and just because they like things on there doesn't mean that when you're sick they're going to come make you chicken soup so you need to learn how to be a real human being with other human beings and get your kids outside get them out doing activities play team sports do martial arts play tennis get out there, be active, things that they can't stay on their cell phone or their tablet if they're actively engaged in.
0: What about anxiety? I mean, I mean, I, I even see it with kids. Um, they seem more anxious than kids of the past. Maybe I'm just noticing and I'm more aware of it, but are they feeling more stress, more anxiety, and why?
1: Well, this past week I've had two or three new young children and up to a 14-year-old girl, and they come in and their parents are right there. And they're on watching everything, and finally I have to ask the parent to leave. And I sit down and I talk with the children, and every one of them turns around, and it's like, well, this is how mom does it when this happens to her. This is how dad does it when this happens to them. And I'm like, okay, so we need to work on some skills, social skills, some coping skills, coping strategies. The kids are watching the parents, and they're learning from the parents. And, again, it sounds like a cop-out, but, you know, we go back to the parenting We need to model appropriate behavior for our kids. And when I have, for example, single parents that are depressed, you know, I teach them that there's a time you can be depressed. You can't teach your child that the way to live life is by being depressed. So we set aside time, usually after the kids have gone to bed, where they can have half an hour, 45 minutes, where they can go in their room, pull the door shut, cry, beat their pillows, scream and yell into their pillows, all that kind of stuff, and be depressed. But the rest of the time they have to pretend like they're functioning well because they need to teach their kids that you should be smiling and happy and have at least a modicum of pleasure in your life.
0: Do you see it reversing? I mean, do you see parents' habits changing or do you see it continuing to accelerate?
1: I think the pendulum is on its way back. I mean, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I think we're swinging back in the other way. I'm watching parenting groups. I'm watching different blogs and media online and how the parents are talking and communicating, and I think we're going back. How far it swings back the other way before it starts back in this direction again, I don't have a crystal ball that can predict the future, but I do think we're on our way back. Like I said before, they're going to cope, and the next generation is going to be a good generation. This one's going to evolve into a good generation. We just haven't quite gotten there yet. And again, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I think we got some great people in this millennial generation. We just got to get them moving in the right
0: direction. If you want to learn more about Dr. John Uber, you can check his website. It's mainstreammentalhealth.org. That's mainstreammentalhealth.org. Only have about a minute left. Anything I didn't ask you that you really wish I had brought up or we could have talked about that you were saying, gee, why didn't he ask this?
1: <laughs> I, I get asked this a lot about millennials. And I just can't reinforce it enough that their development is being delayed and we have to remember that you know our brain continues to function into our, our mid to early 20s and then starts slowing down at that point. This is one of the bigger times in, in development when you have those neurological changes. So they're learning to cope and adjust. And I think they're going to get out of it. We're going to be impressed and happy with this generation as we move forward.
0: Dr. John Uber, I want to thank you for joining me on primary care today. I really appreciate your taking the time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you missed any of this, you can obviously download the podcast at reachmd.com. Thank you so much for listening.